Hey, friendly reminder, this podcast is not for kids or people who have a stick up their ass. Friday, 5.58 p.m. I'm sleeping with my best friend's husband. I think my uncle killed someone in I his think suicide. I am I a sugar baby. Mom addicted to Adderall. I think I my sister is my actually my uncle's kid. My What's your secret? Welcome back, Secret Keepers. This is Beyond the Secret, and as you know, I am Ace Fanning. So I have to be upfront with you because I have I've sat on this interview for quite a while now. Not an insanely long amount of time, but a good amount of time because it's not really a secret. I mean, it is, and she's anonymous, and it's just like a regular episode, but it's it's a story that involves a lot of people, and I mean, like, a lot of people were around. It wasn't done in secret, but ultimately, I think that it's a story that really needs to be told because it's eye-opening, and that's the entire point of this podcast, to shed light on things that people like you and I are oblivious to. But before you listen to this story, I I want you to know that she has a really good sense of humor about all of the things that went on during this time. And even I was cracking jokes when I really didn't want to be. And I got annoyed of myself in editing the episode. But I don't want you to confuse her laughter with the severity of everything that she went through. So, this week's secret, A Life of Boarding Schools, Part 1. Walk me through kind of you at like 10, 11, 12, what kind of kid you were at those ages. I was actually super sheltered. I was the overweight, crazy long hair, braces, glasses, girl who was on the soccer team, but like had zero friends, if that makes sense. Been there. Um, I (laughs) I wasn't allowed to play outside. I wasn't allowed to do play dates where like my mom just dropped me off. So she was always there. So my childhood was very privileged in the way of like my mom's a single mom lived in a very wealthy community like she was pretty successful but at home her mental health was not the same your mom was so sheltered like did you have siblings no I'm an only child okay so was your mom super sheltering because of religious reasons or was she just um she was that way one because her biggest fear was my dad coming to like kidnap me if I'm playing outside they got divorced when I was a baby and his family's just crazy but then it soon because she had her own trauma and her own like mental illnesses where she would like latch on to me like it became codependent mm-hmm. where she I was the one taking care of her and she couldn't do anything without me. How did you do in school? I was good in school. I struggled with reading, but other than that, I was like your average student academically. It doesn't seem like there were any huge warning signs of, it doesn't sound like you were a monster. No. Um, So I was in a lot of sports. I was in soccer. I ran cross country. I was in competitive cheerleading. And often I came to school with a lot of bruises from being kicked. Like cheerleading is an insane sport. That's Um, actually a really funny thing because in high school, my wife at the time, she was in competitive cheer. And one of her teachers asked her, they say, do you, is there anything going on at home that you want to tell me about? My wife was like, 
no. Like, what do you mean? And then she's like, you, you just always have new bruises and stuff. My, and it's so funny because my wife is someone like, she never wants to talk to teachers. She like, she just wants to be left alone. She just, and she was like, uh-huh. it was so awkward. She's like, no, I do cheer. She's like, my parents aren't beating me. Well, that's what I told my sixth grade math teacher, but he still reported it to the school and CPS came out and CPS came to the house and he twisted it in a way where it looked like I had lied about my bruises because once it came out, like this girl's not being abused, he was like, well, she said so because he looked like an idiot. So of course I was the bad guy. And CPS actually told my mom after they did the home check to show me these movies, Antoine Fisher and 13. And I was, yeah, I was 12 at the time. Again, never really got in trouble. Um, Very bullied, quiet, like low key. And after I watched those, I, things changed. Like in that same year, I experienced a really big traumatic event and I started cutting myself. I fell into a really bad depression. Also, I grew up seeing my mom with depression. Like I'd have to bring her food in the closet. She would sleep all day long. So I was just entertaining myself, but I wasn't allowed to go outside. So I could only stay inside. So when I went through that trauma, that's kind of sort of the only thing I knew was what CPS told her to show me. And then what I learned from her. CPS suggested that you watch, I've never seen Antoine Fisher, but I've seen 13. Yeah. And I know that's not like, oh. (laughs) That is not a family movie. No, that's normally a movie you watch like in middle school with your friends. And like you guys, well, when I was younger, like you rented it from Blockbuster and you like didn't tell (laughs) your parents and you were like, we're going to watch 13. Yeah. (laughs) And that's That's where I, after that, that's, that's when I like, learn not necessarily learned but after that that's when I started lying like oh I'm going to so-and-so's house but then I'd go out like with another friend and boys and my mom this all played into her final decision she considered me a runaway even though I was only gone for like a couple hours like I said I was going to a friend's house but I went to like a grocery store and we just all hung out in the back which to me is not running away, but that's how she categorized it when she had to give a list of reasons on why I should be accepted. Did your mom also watch 13 with you? She did. See, and here's, I'm almost wondering, did your mom watch this movie with you? And just like you had an experience with it, did your mom have like this eye-opening experience of like, this is what 13-year-olds are doing. So she thinks... When you're at the grocery store with your friends, you guys are actually, like, not. Probably. She's definitely somebody who, like, she sees something or her own experiences, and we'll get into this more. Um, It'll make a lot of sense. It She sees something in her own life or with her own eyes, and then she makes that me. Kind of like your other episode that I listened to where, like, the mom was convinced or she would convince others that her kids were experiencing something. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I ask you what, what was the trauma that you experienced? Um, At 12, I was gang raped at a party. (gasps) What? (laughs) Yeah. At 12 years old. Yes. That's a whole other story. Yeah. What? Hang on. What kind of party were you at when you were 12? It was it was like a house party. I don't even know if people have those anymore. I was friends with this girl and she had older siblings and they were like I remember her older sister had a baby but still lived at home. Her dad was a single dad, but she was still friends with people like at high school. She like graduated earlier, got her GED. So she was still like high school age. So this girl that I was friends with was also friends with these high school kids because they were always at the house for her sister. And they were having a party. I would, at this point, I don't know why after my mom showed me all these movies, she decided to kind of start letting loose. I think it's because she started dating 
So she kind of wanted me out of the house, but I would like spend the weekend at this girl's house. Like it was just, she lived across the street. It was fine. Everybody knew each other. And we went, she got invited to this party and I wanted to go with her. This is the girl that was bullied and outcasted her entire life. And finally, like she's in with the cool kids. And so I went and this girl, she was drinking. I was not. And then I couldn't find her. So some people that I had seen at the house before, I had recognized them and I asked them for help. And then they did not help. Do you know how old these people were? I do not know. Like I said, I didn't know them like necessarily personally they were just always at the house with my friend's older sister and me and my friend were off doing our own thing so like I recognized them we kind of knew who they were because we passed them in the garage when we would come back on our bikes but I had never like conversated with them or befriended them I just knew who they were they knew the girl I was looking for so I asked them to help me find her That is so, that is so sick. Like, I just, I I think right now, I have a niece right now who is 12 years old. I have two daughters. So it's, the world is a scary place. How, how did that moment affect everything else that was about to happen that's when I began to cut myself as a punishment for lying to my mom or losing this person or like portraying that they could do something like that to me and I had I didn't know I was struggling with this because I had not necessarily forgotten about it, but I was sexually abused when I was four. But it wasn't something that I like thought about on a daily basis or really ever said anything about. It just, it happened and that was that. So at age 12, when this happens, it kind of resurfaced everything. Like, what am I, who am I, why am I so bad that like these people keep doing these things to me? Do you realize now where you're at that that is not true at all? 1,000%. Yes. I have done a lot of work, a lot of therapy, a lot of growth over the years to where I can talk about this. I can tell my story. I can say where I was and explain where I'm at. And I'm okay. Can I ask you, when you were four, who were you sexually abused by? I was raised in the Mormon church. And my mom was a single mom. So there was this couple, this older couple. They were like my step-in grandparents. um, Because my mom's not close with her family. And they were phenomenal. The kindest, most beautiful humans in the world but they had a grandson whose parents were not so kind. So he lived with them a lot and they have like those, it's not a mobile home. What do you call them? Like you can put it on the back of a truck. Oh, um, manufactured homes. Yes. They had one of those and it was only the two of them. So it was relatively small, but to a child, it was like a normal house. So he was there and it was him. he never really liked me. And I think it was out of jealousy like his parents didn't love him. I hate saying that, especially cause I'm a parent now. Um, but my mom did me and his grandparents loved me and I got a lot of attention. He was also a teenager and he was an asshole. So nobody liked him. But you were him. four years old. Yeah. He was, he's a psycho. 
it's just <sighs> like that whole situation. I actually, I actually, um, took the time to sit down and journal about it a couple weeks ago. And I kind of like rewrote it all out and just kind of let your brain flow. And it's, I hope he's a different person <laughs> now or dead. During this part of the interview, we get really sidetracked and, you know, we start talking about therapy and her divorce and just all the different areas of her life that were affected from this. And I don't want you to think that I don't think it's important. It's very important. I think every single thing that comes out of her mouth is very important, but for storytelling purposes, I think it's best that we skip over this for now. A lot of it comes up again later in the conversation, and I would much rather you hear it then than hear it now. Okay, so walk me through how you go from living your normal, well, what is your normal life <laughs> at home to now leaving? So... My mom categorized me going, saying I was going one place, going another as running away. And then there was the cutting myself. And then there was the typical defiant attitude, sassy teenager. She had a dress code where like, it was not the cool thing to wear. Like I couldn't wear spaghetti straps or, which now as a parent, I totally see where she was coming from. Or like my shorts or skirts were too short. So I would sneak clothes in my backpack and change when I got to school or have my friends bring me clothes. So all of these, she magnified into these terrible behaviors and found a school. I don't know the enrollment process. I don't know if your kid has to be bad enough. That's why she magnified my, my quote unquote issues. But she claims that she was protecting me from the devilish path that I was headed towards. Keep in mind, I've ne I never snuck out, never stayed out all night. My grades were decent. I was an athlete. I was in multiple sports at once. In my opinion, I was not a bad kid, especially in comparison to the girls that I soon would meet. Let me ask you this, too. Did your mom ever really try to step in and correct these behaviors i mean um she... kids kids at 12 13 they're rebellious like i am yes. a kid like i never really did anything but i always had an attitude problem like i got popped upside the head multiple times for <laughs> mouthing off and having an attitude and it's normal for kids it's not like your mom walked in on you and you were doing like satanic spells in the corner of the room and <laughs> she looked at you and your eyes were in the back of your head. Like this is all, <laughs> this is growing pains. This is stuff that yeah. like parents are going to have to deal with. And it's not just like, okay, you're nope, you're done. You're leaving. But this is kind of where I learned later on where my mom found something or read something or heard something from someone. And then it became her daughter. Um, I don't know what the laws are from my understanding and someone can fact check or whatever, but in the state of California, you are not allowed to put a child on antidepressants or I think in general, like mental health medication before a certain age. And as soon as I turned 11, probably my birthday week, she drags me to the doctor's office and puts me on Zoloft because she was on all this medication because her depression was so bad. So whatever's happening with her and my therapist later on um, actually had to put her in her place multiple times, like allow your daughter to feel what she's feeling and experience what she's experiencing. Don't develop these experiences for her. Don't tell her how she should feel. And what's going on in your life doesn't mean it's going on in her life. But when I was 11, we hadn't gotten to that point yet. So whatever my mom was going through, I had to have been going through it too. So she put me on medications that I did not need. And she didn't do this. It wasn't like, oh, let's go to the kitchen together and take our meds. But in her, 
That sounds so terrible. Um, you have a long day, but it was almost pop like some wine and a pill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's almost like it made her feel more connected to me that we both were experiencing this, even though I really wasn't. And let me ask you this, because you're you're now a mom. Yes. As a mom, wouldn't that be the last way that you'd want to be connecting with your kids? She definitely tried. Like she wouldn't we would have like weekend traditions, weekend trips. Like I was an only child. Like while all this craziness was going on, I was still your typical spoiled only child. Mm -hmm. Like she bought a three bedroom house, knocked a wall down and I got two of those rooms to myself. Like we would vacation every summer. I had all the new nice things. So she just, there was like that materialistic connection, if you will. Mm -hmm. But then there was like behind closed doors because she was working through her own shit. It's crazy. I, I'm trying to be more open to everyone's perspective and everyone's truth. And if I'm looking at it from hers, I could probably argue that she just, maybe she felt like nobody ever helped her with her problems. That's 100% what it is. Over the years, that's what I've learned. And she just wanted to be someone who was helping you. Yes. Yes. But like you always see those memes, like be the person you needed as a child. Yeah. I genuinely believe that she, to this day, no matter how difficult our relationship is after everything that she did to me, I will stand by and say she genuinely thought she was doing the best thing. It was real messed up. But it was net. She never had ill intentions. She just kind of wanted to cover all her bases, cover absolutely anything that could go wrong, before it ever even present had a chance to present itself. Sometimes we don't realize we're not self-aware enough to realize that we're actually causing harm, and not doing any good. Yes. Okay, so your mom finds this school do you call it a school yes yes okay at the time this place was called copper canyon academy she finds this place i to this day i don't know how she found it or what but she tells me that we're going to see a new doctor for my cutting and all i cared about was i got to leave school early and we were going out of state so i was like okay so she sends me to school And she picks me up before lunchtime, and then we drive to Arizona. And we drive up to this little house. We sit in this room with this lady, and they kind of explain to me what the place is like. And I'm thinking it's like any other therapy session she forced me to go to. But then she looks at me, and she's like, you're staying. I was like, what? She said I was staying, and she left. There were a lot more tears, but essentially that was my drop-off, which was way better than about half the other girls that go to these schools because parents actually hired people to kidnap them in the middle of the night and take them to these schools. What? Yes. Usually it was like two people, but they would wake you up in the middle of the night and put you in a car and put you on a plane and they would sit on either side of you and they would escort you to these schools. Your parents didn't tell you at all. Luckily, my mom was kind enough (laughs) to drive me herself and sit down with a therapist and be like, yeah, you're going to stay here. Did you have, I mean, you knew you were going on a trip, so I'm sure there was some sort of a bag. She packed a a bag of toiletries because they took everything from you at these schools. Like you wore at this school, there were levels. So every level you had a certain color T-shirt. You were only allowed to wear like khaki or blue pants. Um, So she had purchased those. She had purchased the things I was allowed to have, like journals and stuff. And she left me with it. That's, I don't even know where I want to start. Like what the fuck were the different levels? And what level were you? Well, everybody started off at level one, which is red. Level two was blue. Level three is maroon and level four is green. So level one, you're actually not allowed 
to talk to any other level ones. Like you're on, they call it silence. So anyone else in a red shirt, you're not allowed to speak to, you're not allowed to look at, you can't brush up against them, you can't make eye contact, you can't sit next to them, nothing. And you have level work that you have to do, such as like writing an accountability letter to your parents, um, reading the four agreements and doing a book report on it. You have to make such and such progress with your therapist, things like that. And then once a week, there's a treatment team, which was like all the teachers and staff and therapists, and they get together. And you have, I think level one was like, you had to be on for four weeks minimum, and then they would reevaluate your progress. Then you could move up to level two or you'd stay on level one. And then level two had their own like to-do list. And you essentially were working the program. I did not. The highest I made was level three on multiple occasions. Because you can be dropped as well. So you do something bad, you get dropped back down to level one. Or whatever. Like if you're on level four, let's, and the extent of your misbehavior was minor, they could just drop you down to level three. Or it could be big and they drop you all the way down to level one or staff buddy which was like a highlighter shirt where you have to be within arm's length of a staff member 24 seven. Oh God. And they take your shoes away <laughs> because most people that were on staff buddy were either harming themselves, um, harming someone else, or they had run away. I was on that too. Okay. I'm not a mental health professional by any means, but I just think about, and I understand, like, you know, we have to be careful and we want to put the child's safety first. But, you know, and I think about who I was at 14. And these things would be, number one, I feel like I would feel debilitated by them because I'd feel like I the world was starting to close in on me. Because, like, in prison, you can't do anything. That's what this sounds like. Like, especially these level ones, like, and the not being able to talk to each other is very strange. You would think in these situations, you would just want everyone to be able to communicate with everybody else. Like, but then I also think about this staff buddy and you're now having to wear a bright highlighter shirt, which says to people, Hey, I am extra crazy. I fuck up. I really fucked up more and so now it's 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 shaming them you know 100 percent. and i i get the argument of like oh yeah like the reason they were doing it was because of you know it was easier to watch for them and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but we especially at that age kids do not want to stand out nope especially when you're going through something such as cutting yourself this was actually one of the more um, lenient places I had been. Oh, good. <laughs> Glad you have some comfort. <laughs> um, as punishment, like if you were to talk back or you were to misbehave or just depending on the staff that was on that day, we got these things called work hours where like, let's say my job was to clean the kitchen after dinner. I was on the cleanup crew and I dipped and I went to my room to read a book instead. And they found me. Oh, that's a work hour or three. Our wake up time was 6 a.m. But if you had work hours, they would wake you up at 5 a.m. And you had to go work like physically work. If there were projects that needed to be done, like all the lamp or all the fans need to be dusted. Like that's not part of our daily chores. So it's something extra that the work hour girls would do. They would have you do that. If there was nothing, you'd have to go outside and pull weeds. At this specific house, because we ended up moving houses to the bigger campus eventually, we had this super long driveway. And on one side of the driveway was like the house and the school. But on the other side of the driveway was this really big wall full of rocks, like small boulders. They would literally have us move them. You could either do one by one or you had to fill up a wheelbarrow and move them to the other side of the driveway and make a pile. And then when the wall was empty, you put them all back. 
okay, I need a visual really quick because I'm now I'm starting I'm trying to picture everything. How many kids about are in this school prison? Um, so, <laughs> so I at this time this place my mom drops me off we were considered the little campus so we were the younger girls like the oldest was probably like 14 or no 15 and then you had all the older girls who were like late 15 year olds all the way to 18 at the big campus about two little towns over so at the little campus I would say I would say less than 30 between 25 and 30 and how many staff all together or like on shift at once? Yeah, like on shift at once. I would say about three or four house staff. And then like you had the therapists that were there during business hours, the teachers that were there during during school hours. At that time, we only had two teachers because we were the little campus. Um, night staff, we only ever had two. And then evening staff, it was like two or three because someone had to watch downstairs, someone had to watch upstairs and someone had to do meds or like cook dinner or something. You were 13 at the time? Yes. I just turned 13. Isn't it really strange to like, like I've never even, growing up, I never even went to like sleepaway camp and it's kind Neither of did I. how I want to imagine this is, but minus any of the fun and the <laughs> arts and crafts. Um, we did do those. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> During your free time. Uh, <laughs> during your outside hours. Um, <laughs> but like, it seems really weird to, at 13, not have your parent around. And especially for you being in another state. Mm-hmm. There were some girls, again, this school was in Arizona. There was one girl, she actually came to visit me a couple months ago. I'm still really good friends with many of them. But she was sent all the way from Maryland. We had one girl at this school that her parents sent her from Mexico. And another place I went to, her parents sent her from Northern Ireland. Just to point out, like, these schools are not good. Some have been closed down since then. Some have undergone police investigation and had to, like, get new management and ownership and change their name. Eventually, people realized that these things were not healthy at all. How often does your mom visit you? She would. Did she actually visit me or how long were parents allowed to visit or how often were they allowed to? Because my mom didn't come as often as she was allowed to. How often did she come? Uh, she would come maybe once every few months. And what about Christmas and holidays? She would come for Christmas. I think with her, she would do her best to make Thanksgiving, but Christmas was always like our thing. So she made sure, like, if she didn't have time off of work, she, we just picked Christmas as opposed to Thanksgiving. And she would always come out for my birthday. But other than, like, those big days, she, she would come either if the school said that she needed to. Um, Wait, hang on. You spent Christmas at this place? Yes. You lived there. Were you thinking, like, kids got to go home for the holidays? I like love Christmas. <laughs> that just makes me so sad. Oh. Like I'm someone like even my family has like said before, like, oh, we should go like up north for Christmas and stuff. And I'm like, Christmas is supposed to be at your house. You're supposed to wake up and run downstairs or out to the living room and see everything under the tree before you go wake up your parents. And so you just like woke up in this house and like what your mom wouldn't come until probably like visiting hours, which was like 10 or something. Yeah. And then you had to have Christmas yep. with all these girls that you don't even know. Well, you did know these girls, you knew them inside and out. Like they were closer to you than your family was because you were all abandoned there together. You all had to do the same BS every day. That makes me so sad. Like, when you were having a rough day, it was your roommate that you cried to falling asleep. It wasn't your parents. These girls were everything to you. And, yeah, you're teenage girls. You're going to fight. But 
sometimes you'd find that one friend and they were your lifeline. So you build, I built, I was fortunate enough to build a phenomenal support system in the sisters that I never had. So if we're going to look at a silver lining, that's it. Let me ask you this because maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Like because of, you know, the fact that you're saying this about these girls, would you have wanted to go home for Christmas or would you have rather had Christmas there? Eventually I know. No, because especially after I realized like when I was doing the work, my mom still wouldn't let me come home. Years down the road, as I went to more programs and treatment centers, I graduated the programs. I finished all the requirements. Like everybody wants your kids to graduate. You're supposed to go home, be reunited with your family, go back to high school, like all of this. But even when I graduated, my mom just found another school. So no, eventually I did not want to go home. These schools were my home. I've learned as an adult, I'm a very avoidant person. Yeah. So maybe it was easier for her to like, once you're home and kind of over it, just to stay there and not put yourself through the pain of having to leave again. Okay. Well, too bad because you don't get to just do what's easier for you because for your you. kid needs yes. to see you. Yeah. I agree. In And depending on your level, depending on the visits. So like, to be completely honest, if you're level one, and if your parents are traveling somewhere further than inside the state, it's kind of pointless because you only get like one four hour visit a month. What do you do for four hours? Sit there and color and coloring books together. Show them you know how to crochet now. I don't know. Are you shitting? Like they don't even get to take you? No, you don't get to leave campus until level three and again it's segmented into hours like your first level three visit is like four hours on campus seven hours on campus so like you and your parents can go out to dinner one day and then go out to breakfast the next day um and then you can after breakfast you guys can spend the rest of the day on campus together and then they have to go home let me ask you this and you probably won't know this because you were a child in the facility but like if i sent my kid to this place i feel like if they were like no you can only come i'd be like no we're gonna come bring her like we're gonna take her out and they're like no she's only i'd be like okay well fuck off i'm paying you for her to be here i'm gonna take no her. there are parents yeah you can pull your kids there are parents who pulled their kids because they ran out of money or because it was like they felt like they made the wrong decision or they feel like after no, but visit, like it's like I mean, for like the visits, like if I'm driving, oh. if I'm coming, you know, across state lines to see my kid, I imagine what I would want to do is like, we're going to go around town. We're going to go have, yeah. lunch, we're going to go to the movie. Like, I'm not going to okay. like, like I, I would say like, if they were like, oh no, she's only allowed the four hours on campus and you guys can color and crochet. And I'd be like, yeah, no, we're here. We're going to take her. I'm, she's going to be absent today from school. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. Oh, God. You have to remember these parents think they sent you to these schools because they think what the school has to offer is better than what they have to offer you. Once we went to the big campus, there, there was equine therapy. So we had a bunch of horses on campus. So you could um, go visit the horses. Some girls who were heavily involved could go on horseback rides with their parents. We lived across the pathway from a creek. So you and your family could go down to the creek. Like there were things to do, but also like after not seeing your parents or your child for so long, you kind of just want to like, and me and my mom did this, like kind of go off into a, an empty classroom and she brought a bunch of blankets and we like made this like bed if you will and she brought a laptop and we watched movies my entire visit it's like you kind of make it work because that's what you're given so what are these schools called like are they reform schools are they um this school was considered a therapeutic boarding school you had group therapy twice a week you had individual therapy once a week sometimes more the people on staff had schooling in mental health that way, like when therapists aren't there, they are trained to deal with it. 
and this was my experience, I don't know about anyone else, but there was this doctor, he was a psychiatrist, he came once a month, and he met with everyone that was on meds. There were girls who lied about what was going on with them because they wanted to be on a certain medication, or like if you were on sleeping pills, you got to go to bed 45 minutes early. So there are some girls who lied about having insomnia so that they could go to bed early and get more sleep. There were people who genuinely had really bad anxiety, so they put you on anxiety medications. I don't know what my mom was Googling, but this was her go-to because we had no say. She had them put me on all these different medications at different times, and it got to a point where I guess she was unhappy with the reports she was getting. I was probably just being a defiant teenager and not doing what they told me to do. But she had them put me in a psych ward for a week and strip me of everything, cold turkey. I detoxed for seven days and they started fresh on medication. Again, I had no say. So you were taken out of the school? The school, yes. Prison. And then put into a psych ward? Yes. Which was normal. Like, they would do it for students that were either they couldn't get the medication right or they were having a bad reaction. But in my case, it was because my mom decided she wanted to start all over. She wanted a clean slate. What the fuck is a psych ward like? I was sick 90% of the time I was there in my bed hooked up to IVs. But my mom did come to visit me. This was right around the time that I opened up about my rape from when I was 12. But then my mom found out, which gave her even more motivation to get me on all these meds so that I would not go crazy in her eyes. So there was that. And again, I, I'm not sitting here saying this time it was 100% my mom. Who knows what the psychiatrists and other therapists were feeding her, what she was Googling on her own. Currently, right now, as we're talking, are you on any medication? No, I'm 1,000% against myself being on medication. That is a trauma for myself. Yeah. I um, thought my mom convinced me that I had postpartum after my second daughter. And she told me all these terrible things that mothers with postpartum do, like God forbid, like drown your baby or shaken baby syndrome or commit suicide or something, which scared me. So I went and I got on medication for it. It turns out I was just in a really abusive, crappy marriage. And I was just dealing with that. I didn't have postpartum at all. Oh, my God. But I do support those that are on it um, because some people do need it. So... You go to the psych ward, you wean off that, you start the new medication. Then I go back to school. Same school? Yep. Continued to not work the program, do what they wanted. So they claim I started a riot, which I did not. People go stir crazy. We had one girl who like intentionally broke her arm on a sink because she wanted out. Um, she had a complete meltdown. There were students climbing on tables and throwing chairs down the staircases, but somehow everything was blamed on me. Um, so they sent me to a wilderness program. Um, my therapist at the time, phenomenal woman, to this day I love her to death, she made sure that I was able to come back so she could take care of me, and she chose where I went. And I went to a wilderness program where I lived in the middle of the Utah desert, which is stunning and everything I was allowed to have we carried in a tarp on our back what the fuck (laughs) I'm not doing that (laughs) I think the most we hiked in one day was like eight and a half miles what the fuck is a wild like a wilderness program means like you're going on a you live in the wilderness you bust your own fires with a bow drill um if you want to eat hot you have to bust a fire otherwise you're eating cold Every night you're around a fire, like they take your shoes and your pants every night so you can't run away. You sleep in what's called a wiggy, which is like those sleeping bags for like super low temperatures that like you're like an Eskimo. So it wraps around your head. And for how long are you supposed to be doing this? 
Um, I was there for exactly 10 weeks. 10 weeks you slept outside. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. When no, I was, not. yes, it is. You're literally camping. And you're not like, there's not a cabin or anything like that. You're literally just. Oh, no. No, you don't even see cars. You don't even hear cars. Like you are literally in the middle of nowhere. And what was, again, I was the bad kid. I was the kid who didn't do anything. Didn't do what I was told because I know I was never going home. So screw all of you. Um, I was sent on solo trips. What? Where, <laughs> where I was with two staff members, but I was removed from my group. I wasn't allowed to talk to the staff. We just hiked. Um, when we got to camp, I had a different campsite than them. I couldn't see them, but they knew where I was. And I was literally on my own. Like I had my water. I had to bust my own fire. I had to cook my own food. I went to bed. When I went to bed, my therapist would come once a week. Like it was isolation all over again. Do a lot of the kids cry? Oh, yeah. A lot of the time, the norm was they would take you to wilderness first. Like your parents would have you do wilderness and then you would go to boarding school. But my mom didn't do that. I went to boarding school and then they're like, well, we should have started her more hardcore. Let's send her to, let's see if she goes to wilderness and then comes back and is whipped into shape. But yeah, I grew up, I wanted to be a wilderness counselor because I enjoyed it so much. But after the military, I looked into it and my wilderness program was actually shut down for child abuse. Well, yeah, no, because, <laughs> because, and this is what I was saying earlier, where like I talked to people and they don't even know what they experienced was wrong. I didn't know what they were doing to us was wrong. Like my mom signed the papers. She's the one who trusted them to do it, do these things. Like nobody wants to believe that their parent would knowingly sign them up for abuse. I one time got in trouble when I was younger for, I don't even remember what. And for like two weeks, every day, you know, in like front yards, how they have like a, it's like you have a front yard of rocks, but then there's like the bigger river rocks that make some sort of weird shape. Uh-huh. My dad's punishment for me was like, I had to be out there for like an hour a day picking the small rocks out of the big rocks. And oh my gosh, you basically had work orders. And work I hours. literally contemplated running away, calling CPS, <laughs> something, because I was like, this isn't right. This is not okay that I'm supposed to be out here doing this meaningless task of picking these rocks out of the other rocks just separating rocks basically yeah and you're telling me you lived outside for 10 weeks and then later in life you said that was so great <laughs> i want to do that again i'm not trying to like make this interview funny at all but what the fuck Okay, let's also keep in mind that the staff members switched out every week. So they only camped out for a week and they got their phones and they got to eat different food than us, but they got to hike and camp for a full week and then they got to go home. And in their so sleep, that was they way had to better. worry about kids like you trying to kill them. <laughs> because I'm telling you right now, if my parents ever sent me to wilderness, <laughs> I would have killed somebody. <laughs> I'm not like, and like, maybe I should have gone to that. Maybe that would have toughened me up a little bit in life. I don't know, but that is, and I'll tell you this too, like just hearing you talk about that. I, and like I said, I don't struggle a lot with anxiety, but that gives me a lot of anxiety because you're trapped. You're essentially just trapped. You can't run away. You can't do anything. You're not around like civilization. You are literally yeah. trapped and you have no idea where you're at. Correct. That's why like, the kids who ran away, I didn't know any personally at this program. It was so scary because you don't know where you're at and you're literally in the wilderness. Like there are snakes, there are spiders, there are like animals. Would have rather fucking a snake eat me than stay out there. <laughs> oh, that's not, I mean, the boarding school sounds awful, but that, that's not okay. 
there was actually um, a student who committed suicide at Wilderness, and that was the first time I had experienced something like that. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that's really great for you to experience. Like, you're already going through a traumatic thing, and then they're like, oh, you know what? Why don't we expose her to a suicide, too? Well, it was a boy, so he wasn't in my group. They separated you like you were in an all-girls group or an all-boys group. Uh, we had just heard about it. And some people knew them, knew this person because um, they had kind of come in on the same truck. But I personally did not know that person. Do you feel like anything positive came out of wilderness? My dearest friend from Northern Ireland. And then the fact that I loved the camping aspect of it. Absolutely loved it. And when I was on my solo trips, I went on hikes that like they don't normally take groups through. So it was like really like untouched land and like creeks and streams and stuff. And it's things that as an adult now, I would probably never have experienced it. And it was breathtaking. But like as far as the program, no, absolutely not. How much is your parent, how much is your mom paying for this to, for you to live okay. like a slave? <laughs> A lot of money. I've never asked her what the total was or is. I know that she's, she ended up having to file for bankruptcy, but they couldn't include all of the student loans. It's part of the reason she told me I needed to join the military was because there was no money left for me to go to college. So it really destroyed her financially. She like, because of all her debt years later, after my second daughter was born, she ended up having to foreclose on her home, file for bankruptcy. She's looking at doing it again. So, like, it really screwed her out over. Well. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you go to Wilderness. You do your 10 weeks of being a slave. You know what? I'm sure you got a great tan. Yes, but I was left with what they call permadirt. What's that? Where your hands literally look like you work in the mines for like six months like permanent dirt on your body we got what what they called billy baths you got that every once in a while um you know the old coffee cans the metal ones the really big ones you got to fill that up with water and you put it over a fire so like it's all sterile and it's warm and then you get like travel size bar soap and you go off behind rocks and whatever and you can sponge bath they call them billy baths. And I probably got like four of them at most during my 10 weeks. You when took you got to camp. four <laughs> homeless showers during 10 weeks of camp. Yeah. Like they gave you wet ones and stuff, especially for the girls. They gave you wet ones. So like if you needed, you could like wipe down. But honestly, that was like the last of your worries when you were living out there. You like went to the bathroom in a hole. Somebody was always on latrine duty. Like everybody had jobs when you got to a campsite. What's a latrine? A big hole in the ground that you poop in. <laughs> so what was someone's job? <laughs> they had to dig it. <laughs> and then the next morning before you left camp, they had to go bury it. That's so gross. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God. And then you all just shit in a big hole? Yeah. You didn't have individual holes? No. What if you got diarrhea? What if you got sick? <laughs> Imagine squatting for that long. Because you weren't sitting. I would have figured out a way to, like, I probably would have crabbed <laughs> over it or something. It had to be those same big coffee canisters. Um, it had to be six of those wide and six of those deep. Six of those deep? Oh, God, yeah. what if you... Did anyone else fall into the fucking <laughs> hole? No, because you knew where it was. Well, I know, but what if you, like, lost your balance? Like, you've been hiking all day. Oh, then you have to squat true. to poop. Like, what if you just lost your balance? They're like, your pants are probably, I'm assuming, are around your ankles. <laughs> yes. That's true. I have never fallen into a latrine. This is the stupidest thing I have ever... And what what exactly are you supposed to be getting out of this? Time to reflect. Again, like, parents, this was their kid's first stop. So, like, it was reality. Everything was taken from them, stripped from them. Civilization, like, freedom, 
uh, being with your family, like a lot. And I said this earlier, like I didn't need to be at these schools after I met the people that were already there. Like these were kids who were already addicted to drugs by their own free will. I met one girl at a school where the FBI found her because she had run away. She had been missing and she had a pimp who was prostituting her. There were girls that were strung out that had to go to the hospital before they came came to these schools. Like these kids had serious issues. And my mom just claimed I ran away because I hung out behind a grocery store. So like this was serious for some people and very much needed. There were kids that were arrested and court ordered because they either attacked their family or committed a crime. So instead of juvie, they had to go to treatment centers or boarding school. I'm not like, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic right now, but I don't see how 10 weeks in a situation like this is really going to help anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand like, you know what, let's spend a week, maybe two weeks and then maybe and the only reason I think that would good that would come out of that was that they would be like, oh, boarding school is not so bad. Like I could be out yes. living in the desert, but 10 weeks. Average, they say, because whenever you send your kids somewhere, you're always like, well, how long does your program last? And they're like, eh, 12 months average or six months or whatever. Wilderness was average six to eight weeks. But me being me at that age, kind of like screw the world. And I had to be sent on all these solo things. Mine lasted 10 weeks. And then my mom came to my graduation and I went back to Copper Canyon and my therapist at the time, the one who kind of vouched for me and made sure I went somewhere she felt was safe and beneficial. She took me under her wing. She like, she did a lot of things in therapy that I resent but ultimately out of every adult that was in my life at that time like she was the best so they even kind of screwed her over they said oh so and so's coming back but we're not going to put her on your caseload and she's going to move houses so she has no contact with you because clearly she doesn't do well with you which then broke my therapist's heart that she was kind of told to stay away from me it seems like they're doing a lot of good. Seems like <laughs> great. It just seems like anytime, like oh, someone's gonna, anytime you have a connection with someone, we'll make sure to rip them out of your life. Because they felt like any connection you had, you were, they labeled it as codependency, and codependency is unhealthy. But yet, when you're heartless and emotionless, then like I was, and you stopped giving any cares, like then you were a psychopath and you needed to be put on medication and sent away. Like there was no winning. I went back to Copper Canyon, moved houses, did well, I guess. I was there for another year, wound up back on staff buddy. I'm kind of summing it up because nothing crazy big happened. And then I continued to stop working. Okay. So is that how you eventually got kicked out of Copper Canyon? Yes. They're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. And they weren't even going to tell me. A staff member took me in the back of my house. Like there was a shed with like tools and stuff. So she could get me away from everyone. And she's like, hey, just so you know, they're taking you tomorrow. People are coming in the morning and they're taking you to a school in Utah. She's like, you mean so much to me. And I did all that I could to vouch for you and keep you here. But they made the decision today. We're going to continue this story next week because I didn't want to rush her story because I feel like there are just so many different layers to it. But spoiler alert, Copper Canyon Academy and her wilderness program were not the worst programs that she was in. And I also want to remind you just really quick of what happened to this girl because maybe in the past hour you've forgotten 
but she was 12 years old when she was gang raped by a group of older boys or men, probably men. And she began harming herself and blaming herself for the things that happened to her. And they put her in what I would like to call a prison for adolescent girls. And just because she rebelled during her time at these schools, I don't ever want you to forget what happened to her before these schools. Thank you guys for listening. I will see all of you next week. Everybody has a secret. <laughs>